Hi, this is Stella Mosgawa, and I am Ben's guest on Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Stella Mosgawa, drummer for the band Warpaint. In addition to her band, she's also collaborated with Courtney Barnett, Kurt Vile, Flea, Adam Green, Regina Spector, The XX, Sharon Von Etten, and many, many more. It's basically a list of all the cool kids, but like the actual cool kids. I'm truly a fan of Stella, so having watched and read many of her interviews before, I knew she has incredible taste in music, and I was stoked to hear what she had to say. Her style was most recently dissected in my episode with Martina Barakoska, being that Stella was one of her big fat five, so go check that out, please. Basically, Stella's the shit, she's rad on and off the drums, and this was a truly joyful conversation. I hope you enjoy my chat with Stella about the five records that made her into the drummer she is today. Cheers. I did want to start off by playing a few songs and you don't know what they are and some of them aren't you playing on them, but I want to play them and just tell me where it takes you. good yeah this takes me to a heavenly place yeah <laughs> all right so that was regurgitator and the song is the song formerly known as but uh mm-hmm. but yeah what is that what does that mean to you wow so many things i mean it, it's definitely my it's my teenage years it's my childhood in australia it's listening to um, it's, it's watching and listening to a program called rage, which was kind of a staple for a lot of, um, young Australians, uh, growing up in the nineties and two thousands. Um, regurgitator are, they're still playing, um, just a really iconic Australian band. Um, two of my good friends play in, but I, I really looked up to them when I was younger yeah, that was actually, that's actually my favorite song of theirs. And <laughs> okay. I know it is um, a lot of people's favorite regurgitator songs. And um, I started when I was still in university, I started playing with the bass player, Ben Eli, um, in his solo project, which was called Jump to Lightspeed. And that's then, a sick name. Yeah. And then I befriended Quan, the singer and guitarist. And um, 
then I kind of, I moved to America and I was there for a couple of years. And then I got a call from Ben saying, oh, our drummer is actually having a baby. Um, would you, would you come back to Australia and do a tour supporting Devo with us? And, um, it was still to this day, the best tour I've ever done with a group of my friends. And, yeah. um, my friend Saya Vogel was playing synthesizer. She played my dad's blue sh 101 Mm. and it was just it was really it was such a heartwarming experience to me because it was really one of those full circle moments where you grow up listening to a band you're so inspired by them it gives you this permission or this um it allows you to dream of a world of where you're a professional musician or you're playing in a band or whatever it was it was just you know this kind of really creative really interesting band that a lot of people looked up to in Australia and influenced a lot of modern Australian bands and um and then getting to play with them supporting the band that they were influenced by it was just like it was like it's hall of mirrors this joyful hall of mirrors for me yeah i think we both yeah. share a, an insane love for devo so yeah. um i mean alan's alan's top 5 for me um, was that was that during Josh's tenure? So you got to hang out with Josh? No, it was. I think I think he had been playing with them for a while, and they had a fill-in drummer. His mm. name was Neil. Oh, I feel bad. I don't remember his surname, but um, Neil. Neil, you know <laughs> Neil Young. Yeah, yeah. It's Neil Young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Neil Young was filling in. Uh, wow, playing what drums an incredible experience. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I, I mean, now that you say Alan, I'm like. Damn, that should have been one of my top five, but I, I knew I was going to not regret my decisions, but I knew something would come up that would, that would pinch me. I mean, we all, I always say at every conversation, like I'm sure if I were to have you back on in two months, it would be five completely different. Um, Absolutely. So I'm with you. I feel bad that I make people <laughs> who it's are your five favorite children. Done. I know yeah. I'm, I'm a jerk. Um, yeah. You're a terrorist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all right. So Number two, and this one I believe is you on drums. Okay. Great drumming on that one. Thanks so much. It's been, feels like 45 years since I last <laughs> yeah. heard that song and since the experience of recording that. Um, but that was uh, the first band that I played in after moving to America. And it was my best friend's brother's, uh, he was part of the project. His name's Nick Mabry. He's still in LA playing with, he plays with Perry Farrell and mm. a bunch of, other great musicians and yeah I was probably 19 or so when I started playing with him in this project and and then yeah we went to we moved to New York and I was 20 at the time and it was just insane and I thought I would just be in America for two years and it was a very exciting time we recorded that at Avatar Studios you know that place in New York I think 
David Bowie did Black Star there or oh, like some of it. And it's just a bit, yeah, it's like this iconic um, studio and I lived in New York, which was a crazy concept when you're 20 years old growing up in, you know, the, the suburbs of Sydney, Australia. Um, I mean, it was definitely my rock pig days, which I feel maybe not truly behind me. They're still part of my molecular makeup, but, um, yeah, it's, it's very, very fun to listen back to that. I actually wrote, um, I wrote that riff cause we had to quickly, I remember we had like a month to write the record before we went into Avatar and everyone was just throwing stuff at the wall and, I remember writing that riff and bringing it to the band and it was just like, oh, that was easy. <laughs> it's <laughs> Your easy. Your like, job is so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy. I could do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> no, I um, no, I think it was the first, I think it was actually the first time that I'd kind of written something for a band in that way and, and just remember it being re- accepted very quickly and transformed into a song and everyone was a little bit older than me and really professional and I was just trying to keep up and, and um yeah what did that do for your confidence i mean as a as a writer um oh i think it was just uh, just opened a door just made everything feel a little bit more possible i don't mm-hmm. think i was like wow i am um brian wilson writing <laughs> smile you know yeah um certified genius i i think it was more like oh i can actually do this occasionally and with the help of you know a group of people that are open enough to collaborate on it that can just turn into something. Um, but yeah, that was my first, first two years in America and, and two years living in New York where I was, um, full on rock pig. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is, you're a great host because you're uh, transitioning very nicely into my next pick, which Ooh. is uh, a collaboration you've done very recently. So here we go. Mm. Cool. Very different drumming. Yes. I mean, this is very Alan Myers drumming right here. I love it. Yes. That's a huge compliment. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think my favorite drum track of Alan's is is Blockhead from Duty yeah. Now for the Future, and it's just that. That's kind of my. That's your pinnacle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because it's so simple, but also so complicated. Yes. Yeah, it's intricate. That's my dad um, clapping along. Oh, awesome. He was in the studio in Sydney. Cowbell. Yep, yep. Sorry, I didn't mean to fade it out right at the cowbell, but that's I guess that's a good period on that song. That's kind of the end of the song, really. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, so that's... That's your uh, collaboration with uh, with the great Courtney Barnett. That's right. Yeah, that's, I mean, how many years between those two songs, I would say. <laughs> Something close to, not 20, but so, yeah, 45 um, it feels years. like it. Close yeah. to 45 years, yeah, <laughs> emotionally. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a record that we made, mostly just the two of us, um, uh, both, both not stuck in Australia, but finding ourselves in Australia after you know, constant touring and traveling and, and, um, yeah, that was a really, really fun record to make. And that was really collaborative. And yeah, I think, I, I guess it's funny to hear how I was really trying, you know, in my younger years, you're really trying to impress or prove yourself 
you know, and and that is a really important phase of playing music. And I think now I'm just so much more relaxed um, with how I present myself as a drummer, so mm-hmm. to speak. And and that might be um, some might think that's a little bit boring, but um, <laughs> to me, I'm not it's one like, of those people. No, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just funny how different that is. I think you know. I think doing enough in my twenties playing a lot of sessions with different people, I think what more often than not the feedback that you get, um, the most common feedback is, that you get is just simplify everything, yep. just simplify it and make it a, a, a straightforward idea that is hypnotic and interesting enough to kind of sustain your interest throughout the whole song or a whole album. And I think a lot of my friends that I'm lucky enough to play music with, um, I've just have kind of taught me that or, or really, yeah, solidified that, that philosophy for Mm me. It's just simplify, make the idea really strong, let it support the song as opposed to, you know, my twenties, I was always like, look how fast I can go. Yeah. Impress the 2% (laughs) of the people at most in the audience. Yeah. (laughs) The two drummers. Yeah, exactly. And even there, they're in the back talking to the bass players anyways. So, oh yeah. They don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a really good selection of songs. Thank you. Oh, oh, great. Well, they're, um, yeah, I mean, I love them and I do want to play the next one, which also is you on drums. And this one still, I mean, while it is a little more complicated, uh, from the onset, it is still you serving, uh, what the song starts off with, which is the guitar part. So you are still Mm. very cognizant of that. So, Mm. um, here we go. Can't find the damn one for a long time in this song, which is cool. (laughs) (laughs) One. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a delay anyways. So there's like, I'd be like, you were on the and of four or something. And four. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the cowbell on this one? That would help me. There is a clicky SPDS. There is, oh yeah. Yeah, that Teresa's playing. Yeah. I'm trying to remember where we wrote this. So effective to take out that snare drum there. Kind of talking about being hypnotic and stuff. This is our, like, dubby, our attempt at, at, um, at dub music, at least Jen and I. Yeah. Her bassline's really dubby. Oh, I love her basslines. Oh. Yeah, great. So that was Keep It Healthy by by your band, Warpaint. So Yeah, I'm I um I honestly don't remember how you know how sometimes you listen back to things you've done and you're like, Wow, how do we even do that? Yeah, exactly. Not that it's like shockingly impressive, but it is, <laughs> it is. It's so different to the way that we. Um, that was like a really. I have really fond memories of that time because we were playing in a room together so much. And I think now, with um, not to say that it's any better or worse, but it's just so different now. Things are made in such a piecemeal way, and an idea like that could never really be expressed by sharing files around or kind of working in pairs or anything like that. I think that's very much everyone in the room listening to one a riff or an idea and reacting to that in real time and then uh, making it as elegant as possible, you know, 
and it's over just playing it over and over again and yeah, I really, I, I feel like that's such a strength for our band and it's something mm-hmm. that we've kind of shied away from because I think people expected us to do that, be, you know, everyone's, I've heard people describe us as a jam band, which is yeah. really funny, <laughs> um, just because we play music together and write music together what a in concept. a room. Yeah, yeah. yeah, what a crazy concept. But, um, yeah, I think over time I think maybe we unintentionally kicked against that collectively and, um yeah, I think I think more and more we 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 do talk about getting back into a room and 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 playing IRL as they say. Yeah, I mean body language is so important when it, like you could if you if you're doing something and Jenny moves a certain way you're like okay she likes mm. that whether she's telling me or not I need to go down that direction and it's it's yeah I mean it's cliche oh, to yeah. say that but it is in the room you can feel that energy so. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's something that's become really apparent um, in the last year and a half, trying to do a lot of sessions, writing sessions or production sessions, or even just sending drum parts um, to people remotely. It's really highlighted just how much I'm a, I I prefer to be an in the room musician Mm -hmm. and not just because it's so much more fun, but also just the speed of ideas is so much more efficient, so much clearer. Mm-hmm. when you get an immediate response from someone. And like you said, it doesn't even have to be, you know, a vocal response. I hate this or I love this. You just yeah. know when someone's excited about an idea and then they develop their idea based on what you've played. And mm-hmm. I think it's such a, um, it's an incredibly efficient way to make music. And I know it's, it sounds so simple, but yeah, so much of music these days is is shying away from that process. And, and I just love hearing that song, and remembering what it was like. The good old days. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so last week, I actually had an incredible Macedonian drummer. Her name is uh, Martina Berakoska, and wow. you were actually one of her top five. And so when I found out that, you know, I was able to get you on, I asked mm-hmm. her, do you have any specific questions you would want to ask Stella? And she was, of course, oh, wow. excited. So I do have a few questions from Martina. And if you don't know Martina, um, I'll send you a link after the fact. She is an incredible drummer. Please um, do. Yes. But, yeah. Okay. So her question is, uh, she has she has technically three. The third one is, uh, <laughs> well, we'll do the first two. Uh, how Let's go does, backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so how does she approach or how do you approach your sound? Uh, your drums sound amazing, mm. punchy and dry and big all at the same time. So how do you approach your sound? And if you do listen to her episode, mm. the sound of your drums was a huge impact on her. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I think that's just, I I think it's as simple as that's what I like to hear in music. And that's the, the sonic palette that I'm attracted to when I hear, um, a similar kind of almost like slightly distorted or, or driven, but very dry sound. I immediately, immediately kind of piques my interest and, Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I just gravitate towards that sound. So that's, I guess it's just the answer is just that's my taste, you know, yeah. and and as much as possible if I'm engineering myself, I try to get pretty close to that. Um, and if someone else is engineering, we'll have a conversation about what the right tone is for the song. And obviously it's not universally just one sound, but, um, yeah, I think uh, I guess the first part of the answer to that would be that just taste. And then the second part would be learning to play quiet. Mm. Um, I think that's been the the most uh, beneficial lesson that I've learned in, 
in sessions and as a studio drummer is how much better it sounds to play really quiet and drive the mics into oblivion. Um, so you can really, yeah, you can, there's just so much more you can do with that sound and it gives you so much more, um, like a, a much nicer starting point to really um, generate and create a sound exactly to your liking. I think when you start, when, you know, when I was rock pigging in my twenties, it sounds cool, but it takes a lot of work for that to sound as punchy as it does when you're putting that kind of velocity behind um, every hit, you know, it just, it has one sound and it takes a lot more work for the engineer or if you're engineering yourself, it just, it's so much more complicated, strangely. It seems really counterintuitive, but once you start playing quieter, you've just got a lot more, um, it's a lot more malleable, the sound. And yeah, those, that would be my answer. It's very long, but there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you play soft, you start to like cymbals again, because when you play like a rocker, you're like, I hate that anytime I record myself, cymbals Mm. are the worst. And then you're Mm. like, oh, if you play them musically, they're they're okay. Absolutely. We've got to play them real quiet. I've got a massive uh, 24-inch um, 30th anniversary ride from Istanbul. Mm. Um, and that's basically all, like, all I have and I have to, in my studio at the moment, and I have to really try and make it work for even a quiet song. So, like, so sometimes I have to play it exceptionally, disgustingly quiet to make it work. But yeah, I think you're right. Symbols. I, I have an aversion to crashes these days, mm. unless I'm really playing like loud rock music. All right. So number two is how does she approach drum parts? Uh, is it improvised or does she know exactly what she's playing when recording? And I, I'm sure that's contextual. Like that song mm. with, with, with Courtney was a little more yep. straightforward, but um, in general, how do you approach your drum parts? Uh, I think for the most part, when I'm in a studio with an artist and they have a song to play to, or we're, if we're writing something together, it usually takes the the most common phrase I hear is do whatever you feel. First of all, unless there's, it's very rare that there's a rigid idea, even if there is, that's just a jumping off point for whatever the drummer puts down, or in this case, whatever I would put down. And yeah, so I think typically it is more improvised than it is rigid or kind of pre-planned, um, premeditated. It's it's usually a case of just trying a few things and then whoever I'm with will, you know, over the course of a few takes and, and trying a few options, really settling on something that feels relevant. Do you allow yourself to do kind of the lowest hanging fruit first and going from there? Or do you purposely try and like, I have to be, come on, Stella, step it up, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Cause I have a hard time allowing myself to just like, this is what I immediately feel, but is that, you know, yeah. they're going to be like, why did we invite her? You yeah. Know? I think t- generally it's, um, generally I try to do the simplest thing first and then do the craziest thing next. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of find, instead of going, you know, laboriously in steps yeah. or degrees <laughs> from yeah. the, the most, the, the simplest idea to the most complex kind of seeing both ends of the spectrum, like from zero to a hundred and then f- picking the percentage that feels right for the song somewhere in between usually. I Would do that wanna... be low hanging fruit? The, the, the craziest idea? No, no. I was no. thinking low hanging fruit. Like, Oh, I'm assuming it just needs a boop, boop, cat, boop, boop, cat. Gotcha. Do you allow yourself? You know, that's, and again, low hanging fruit, I guess that's maybe not the, the wrong way to say it because sometimes that's perfect. 
but you, I, th- I think maybe you got what the I'm simplest saying. idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then number three, she'll probably hate me if I say this, but why is she so cool is her third question. Um, Man, so that, maybe born, that could be a whole nother episode, but <laughs> maybe I was born this way. <laughs> I will leave it at that. No. We'll leave it at that. Oh my God. No, that's horrible. I don't want that on record. <laughs> all right. That thanks, is... Stella. That's all with the time okay. we have for today. <laughs> thanks, Ben. Thanks so much. See ya. <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever been cool, to be honest. I don't even know what that means. Um, but I'm very flattered that, um, that she thinks so, at least for the moment. And um, I would love to meet her sometime and I'd love to watch her play. So I really appreciate all the questions. Yeah. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye yeah. All right, so let's go into your big fat five. And the first one is an album that I've never been able to pronounce or never known how to pronounce. <laughs> so, uh, Ain, Ain, Ainema? I think that's Onema. That sounds, it probably is not Enema. Yeah, Onema. I, I think it's it's alluding to the idea of an Enema. Okay. But, um, but uh, yes, it is, um, I will probably be assassinated by a tool fan for saying that incorrectly, but, um, yeah, in my mind, it's onoma. I've always called it onoma. Okay. Well, that uh, album's onoma, uh, by tool and mm-hmm. it came out in 1996. And the song we will hear is, uh, is a uh, stink fist, but the, the drummer's Danny Carey. So yeah. What's, mm-hmm. what impact did, did he have on you? I started listening to tool and primus primarily, uh, right when I started to play drums. So I was about 13 years old and those were my two favorite bands at that point um apart from Hanson a year prior Mm. uh, which was the catalyst um to 
my drumming career. <laughs> but um, that's cool. But after that, I mean, that was just really. Let's face it, that was just one song. But um, there's some crazy double, like the the bass part in Umbop. There's like yeah. three quick little bass drum kicks in there that I still can't play correctly. So that's a, that's a crazy song. Great drummer. Yeah. Let's be real. Great drummer. <laughs> um, shout out to Zach Hansen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Tool, Tool and Primus are really important uh, for me in my my early years of drumming because I I learned a lot of technique from trying to play those songs and and I didn't. I had a drumming teacher for the first maybe two years um, and then I he was very supportive um, and basically said, I, I think you're more of a, um, you're a listener as opposed to a reader and I think you seem to just grasp things after listening to them a, a few times. So I would say if you wanted to go off on your own journey, just listen to the songs that you want to learn, listen to the songs that you love and 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 kind of develop your ability in that way. And so that just gave me this license to listen to a lot of uh, crazy hard rock um, with a lot of double kick pedals. And I had a drum kit at the time that was a Pearl Masters drum kit. It was the fanciest drum kit I had at that point, my second drum kit. And I think it had two, it had at least two rack toms and two floor toms. It was like 10, 12, 14, 16. Okay. Um, and I had a China cymbal, I had a splash cymbal, I had a double kick pedal, and I was just ready to play some tool. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is definitely, I mean, yeah, I, I could have maybe included something. I mean, I think Tool are an amazing band. They're still an amazing band. I do too, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this was definitely my my teenage years and a huge inspiration uh, when I was starting to play drums and really taught me a lot about polyrhythms and and strange time signatures and all that kind of stuff. So big big shout-out to Danny Carey and also Tim Alexander, who played in Primus at the time, were kind of my first two um, gods of drumming. All right, here we go. Stink Fist. (laughs) Which is the first uh, like uh, album starter on this record? That's right. I always wonder if that's like a drum machine or something, some kind of pad. Yeah. Thing. Or something, and they bit reduced it in a weird way. Mm. Or what is that? I don't know. We'll never know. It's the sound of an actual enema, I think. <laughs> So clean sounding. Yeah, immaculate. <laughs> Very wet bass sound. Well, tie into Devo. So, um, Gunnar Olsen, who's a friend of the podcast and a friend of mine, plays in Pucifer. And on one of their first, right. one of their first um, sessions to rehearse, Maynard turned to him and he's like, "Satisfaction, go!" And Gunnar's yes. like, "Oh!" And he played it and he's like, "All right." Anyways, yeah. you know, it was like a test. That is one of the greatest drum beats of all time. Yes, it is. Hundred percent. Yeah. Not to take away from Danny right now. 
Sorry, Denny. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what is your relationship to, to technique today? Mm. Today it's very different to when I was starting out playing drums. I was definitely more of an athletic drummer. And I think, um, as kind of one of the only female drummers in my area and, um, in, in Sydney that I was aware of when I was a teenager, I didn't have a lot of exposure to other female drummers. I really felt like I had so much to prove when mm-hmm. I was younger. And, um, yeah, I think all, all the other drummers, the, the boy drummers from our brother schools and other high schools, everyone wanted to nail, you know, 46 and two or, or, you know, lateralis or schism, all those, you know, very complex kind of Danny Carey moments and tool songs and Queens of the Stone Age songs mm. for the deaf, stuff like that. Um, yeah. You know, that was kind of like if, Oh, if you can do that part or if you can play that song, then that puts you in a different kind of echelon of drumming and, and musicality. And so it was really important to me when I was younger because it helped me prove myself in a way. And, um, and yeah, it was very, very important to me. Now I think um, not so much, you know, I don't, I, I think you develop, at least I feel like I've developed the majority of my technique and, and my drumming skills um, in my kind of teenage years and, and early 20s and then from probably my mid-20s to now in my mid-30s, it's been more um, like I, I find myself maybe more of a utilitarian drummer and I'm very comfortable and happy being in that role and um, I want to be more of use to the music and more of use to the kind of music that I even enjoy listening to. I think if I continued to listen to hard rock and, and, and math rock and things like that, um, I would probably still want, I would still be refining my technique to suit that kind of music, but the kind of music that I play and, and record and contribute to now is, is just a different, there's different goalposts and different priorities. And so I think I've just fit into that, by osmosis um and yeah so it's less important I think I still enjoy putting in you know a, a sprinkle of some kind of technique or or self-awareness like well, I can do this occasionally if I want to yeah, yeah yeah um I feel like that's that's that to me is more fun than having to do that throughout a song you know mm-hmm. consistently or um yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting question. I'm 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 not sure. I, I just know that I think I I have different priorities. I think these days, and um, but I'm so thankful that for that period of of lusting after technique and and really absorbing myself in in that kind of musical knowledge because I I wasn't able to go to a, um, to music school. I didn't go to Berkeley or anything like that. Even though my parents really wanted to send me it was just kind of outside of our means. And as a substitute, I think I listened to a lot of that kind of music and and really absorbed it. And it was really, really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's just as much technical prowess needed to play consistently soft. And I don't want to say delicate the way you do, but I mean, you were alluding to playing softer and stuff. And it's just like, that's just as hard. Um, the technique used for those Danny Carey songs is, is a whole different beast. It's like, it's under the blanket of drumming, 
but it's like you're, you're using the ergonomics of your hands completely different and not in a less difficult way. Totally. Yeah. I remember the first time having to just play slow and quiet and it was like pulling teeth yeah. for me at the time because I was so used to, you know, being in full motion and the inertia mm-hmm. of drumming and, and um, being really accustomed to that, that it felt really uncomfortable to do it at first. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of enjoying, this is a new kind of challenge that I really enjoy. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Number two, speaking of, uh, of technique, you got uh, Mr. Bernard Purdy. Ooh. So this is uh, Steely Dan, uh, and the album is Royal Scam from 1976. And the song we'll listen to is Kid Charlemagne. But, but yeah, floor is yours. Yeah. This is probably one of my favorite albums of all time, still to this day. Mm. And I didn't even, I mean, when I was listening to it as a kid, I had no idea who Bernard Purdy was. I just remember, I knew Steve Gadd because my dad bought me like a Steve Gadd uh, instructional video, the one where he's playing the the black sticks. Mm. You know, he had his signature black sticks. I'm actually going to go see Steve on uh, Friday. He's playing with a little jazz quartet in downtown Hollywood. Nice. I went and saw him at the Catalina, I think. That's where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember there was some hip-hop song that they um, that they sampled the pre-chorus in this song from, and I don't yeah. know what it, what it was, but uh, I think it was I think maybe Kanye sampled it. That sounds like yeah. Track. I don't want to look that up. Is that weird to do no. that in the middle of a podcast? <laughs> no. I'm just obsessed with knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Kanye West champion. Mm-hmm. There you go. Such a good song. Mm. I mean, that's an insane groove. Yeah. He's like, should I do the hi-hat every other time? No, every, no, every, every time. Other, <laughs> every damn time. I cannot stop. Mm-hmm. I almost wish I could hear the solo drum tracks of this and just if bernard's just going oh yeah will yeah the whole time <gasps> yeah oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that brings me so much joy you have no idea oh. <laughs> i feel like every time i'm in a vulnerable moment or i'm feeling like exceptionally happy that's that i have to listen to that album start to finish sure it's such a yeah it's such a perfect feeling to me you know there's yeah. like it's chicken soup music so was 100%. it just this was it just this drumming in general or Bernard kind of in the studio in general or Yeah, I think I I I mean I only as I got older I I kind of went into liner note territory and mm. and discovered who Bernard was and all the amazing songs that he played on but when I was um around the same time that I was kind of into Tool and and um Primus and 
those kind of bands. I was also stealing my dad's record collection, which was like Gaucho by Steely Dan. Mm. Um, Royal Scam was, I think, the first vinyl that we had that we dubbed to cassette tape so we could listen to it in the car. Mm-hmm. And so those two albums were just on loop in the car, in the house, and it just really, I just kind of completely metabolized it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, why I feel so much joy listening back to it because it really reminds me of my childhood and um, reminds me of Australia, and um, even though it's the most American-sounding <laughs> music. That's um, okay. Yeah, but, um, yeah, that song in particular, I think I played that song for my um, end of school music exam. So that oh, was wow. my, like, I did that um, and a Santana song and I mm. think I played a John Mayer song on guitar. <laughs> I think I did Your Body is a Wonderland. Which, oh, oh God, God, Jesus. That's going to be the promo for this episode. Oh, no. Oh, my, okay, I don't want to you know, offend anyone, but um, I still, I mean, I respect John. I'll say I respect John. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there was definitely a time and place where I was like, I'm obsessed with this song Yeah. and I just played it on guitar all the time. And I was like, well, there's that cool solo. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I learned that solo and that's what I played for my, um, for my HSC, which is, I don't know what the equivalent is in America, your SATs. You do like the end end of school music test before you go to yeah. university. Yeah, how good were we at teaching you things? Yeah. So good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was my HSC music song, one of a few of them, and played drums on that. And um, and actually later on I unabashedly stole this, that beat, but a much simpler version of it um, uh, for a Kurt Vile song called Pretty Pimpin'. mm um, that's definitely like a s- slightly slowed down version of the Kid Charlemagne beat without the kind of Tommy Flair parts. But, um, yeah, that was definitely a record apart from those other aforementioned records that I played along to in my bedroom start to finish. And I like, I just love all the drum parts on it, but I also love all the guitar solos on that record. I still think the Kid Charlemagne guitar solo is the greatest piece of music I've ever heard. Um, and yeah, it's just a pure joy to me and a huge, a huge, um, educator that mm-hmm. record for me. Well, yeah, still just, is. Steely Dan in general is just, uh, going to school on what a studio drummer should do. Um, totally. All right. Well, going to another album that, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the name of it. Uh, Eggy Bamyasi. I think that's really close. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's the artist is, uh, is, is, is can, and the song is spoon and it came out in 1972 mm-hmm. and, uh, Jackie Lipzit is mm-hmm. the drummer, the late drummer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I remember I had Jason McGurr on the, on the podcast maybe mm. three months ago and he was talking about a book that Jackie wrote where he has like this whole other, way to write out music and i really oh, need wow. to buy it but it's like a whole oh. different conception of what it is oh and i'd love to see that i don't have that yeah. one i've just got the um all gates open can book which is really good i need to read that one too yeah but yeah so what did, what did jackie uh what impact did he have in your life i think kind of later in my like early 20s and mid 20s and in still to this day i still kind of reference him he's my kind of go-to reference 
for most things, even if even if the song isn't anything like a can song that I'm playing on, I think his his ability, I think his hypnotic tendency and his technical tendencies are so perfectly meshed mm. um, in everything that he does, everything that he did, I should say. Um, and he's just to me, he's just the the top top of the class. <laughs> and I, I think just philosophical, I can just hear what he's thinking about during the song. He never, he never steps over a single note, um, but he can be so flashy and so exciting. And I still think there's just so much to learn from, from him. And um, I think, yeah, in my kind of, I guess, second half of my drumming career up until this point has been kind of my, my guy, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, someone that I I feel like I I try to em- embody his spirit even in the most um, non sequitur ways or non linear ways, just just bringing him and his spirit in to every piece of music that I that I play on, and yeah, I love it. He's, All right, he's the king for me. All right, here we go. Oh, also the way he plays to the drum machine yep, in this song. It's insane. Which I can definitely hear that approach in your playing with Warpaint for sure. Awesome. Woo. How do you even start with that? I haven't heard this song. Oh. So adventurous and yet still keeping the groove. Yeah. And it's all a loop. This whole section, even if it's insane, he's still just looping the idea. Moment. I mean, I could hang out here all day. Yeah, right? <laughs> Who needs chord changes? Overrated. <laughs> well, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I also love beats that someone, if someone just walked in the room right now, I'd be like, where do you think the one is? It's just like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> But it's still grooves, it's just like kind of so pick and groovy. choose where you want to focus on. Yeah. I have that with a lot of um, police songs. Mm, oh yeah. Yeah. Still to this day. Very painful to listen to because I can't find the one yeah. straight away. Please turn it off. Yeah. Can is one of those bands that I, I do need to have like a deliberate rabbit hole Mm. you know moment of my life um to really get into it because oh my god you're gonna love so, it so many gr- so drummers with great taste and i include you in that obviously um love him so i don't know why 
I haven't done it yet. You'll get there. That's a great album to start with. Okay. That's got, that's got the hit. I mean, everyone loves vitamin C, but, um, that just, that's kind of a hits record. I reckon. Um, hits are hits for a reason. That's right. Um, yeah, the, the drum sound on that record as well is just really, um, it's really special. I don't know how they did it. I'd never know if he's hitting, if he's got his snare off or on, it's like, feels like he's playing right on the edge of the rim and the skin and, but it's so consistent. He's like, he's like, you know, when you program a drum beat on a drum machine and you're like, I don't even understand what this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did I make this sound? It's impossible for someone to play this. And then, yep. you know, he's kind of like almost close to that Aphex 20, like IDM yeah. level of just ingenuity with drumming and, and, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of those guys listen to can and and listen to jackie's drumming and i just think he's he's a cut above the rest and and very very important um drummer for me really jet like moving into the more jazz world out of out of the rock arena and into that kind of more intricate tasteful jazz world that Mm -hmm. um i i feel like is more like I feel more attracted to that just just as a listener of music mm-hmm. than like something that just has something that build in, it builds intensity in more subtle ways. Um, that's kind of like can can get really hard as well. Yeah, they can they can go hard, but um, but it's the less obvious route for me, I think. And and his drumming is such a an amazing example of that, of just building excitement without like extreme velocity or extreme anything like lots of crash symbols when he plays a crash it just sounds like like a shitty trash can or something like <laughs> yeah, that yeah, like did. <laughs> all the sounds are just really strange and and just just perfect and always hypnotic and yeah i i'm such a huge fan great mm. all right number four um homo- homogenic and mm. the artist is bjork uh, came out in 1997, and the the song we will listen to, we'll just listen to it right now, is Hunter, and it's Mark Bell slash Bjork. So does that mean that she does some percussion on it? I, I'm I'm not sure who programmed the drums for this or who wrote this drum part. It's mm. a, it's all on a TR909, as far as my ear can tell. It sounds okay. very classically 909, but I just feel like it's such a... In, an incredible example of of genius programming that is like just intellectual and emotional in equal parts and um this whole album i used to actually play along to this album you know as if it were a drumming album mostly just to infuriate myself and also just to kind of come up with new ideas and i still love doing that like playing um to impossible records and not not ever achieving not not able to um, recreate what's happening, but coming up with something really interesting in the in the attempt sure. to to do that. So even like trying to play along to this song, I don't know, just it kind of brought something a, a a different element to my drumming and different element to my music um, musical experience. Trying to recreate things that were that were impossible or inhuman and robotic. Um, but yeah, I, I, I also want to give credit to Bjork as one of the drummers on this, even though I think Mark Bell did, um, did program this beat. 
she was she I don't think gets enough credit as a producer and as a as a programmer um of of her own music and I know that they were very much um you know worked very closely on the production of this album um and for anyone that doesn't know Mark Bell had his own project called LFO which is to me still like up there with Aphex Twin and and um and Square Pusher and and those kind of artists as um I think he was he's he's my guy in that in that world you know mm-hmm. he's someone that I always um looked up to and and just love his the breadth of his work and his production work and um yeah this was my introduction to him um was was um via falling in love with Bjork's music as a teenager and then going into liner note um phase where I just want to know who who did everything on each record and then what else did they work on and so yeah Bjork was a gateway drug to a lot of really interesting electronic music for me um as a teenager and, and into my 20s and I still think about um Mark and Bjork when when I'm doing any kind of programming or even when I'm drumming mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's one of the things that I still love about buying vinyl is you can, mm. the liner notes is still so important. You can't, I mean, there's credits yeah. and stuff on Spotify and all that stuff, but it's still not, yeah. not the same. It's so. not the same. Yeah. For me, it was CDs. I was, a, I'm mm. a, I'm a child of the CD, yeah. um, CD generation. Um, but yes, yeah, still like very much going through and, and it's so much harder to find those intricacies now with digital music. I, I do always try and find who produced something, who programmed things, but it's just such a horrible and and um, dull process now. Just like yep. going on allmusic.com or Discogs <laughs> or something, and it's just like, wow, yeah. <laughs> someone's Wikipedia just feels like hell. But yeah, yeah it's sitting, yeah, sitting with your personnel, yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't say what anyone did. It's just like these are all the people that were there. Yep, yep, great. Yeah, great. Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. Now you do the work. But yeah, I, I loved that was, you know, such a fun part of, of getting into music and, and obsessing over music in my younger years was seeing, you know, who played on who played on what and what else did they do and did they do that before? What happened before in their career, what happened after, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, Mark Mark Bell, going back to Mark Bell, he's he was just such an incredible force in music and, and sadly we lost him um a few years ago. Mm. But um, but he's still very much um, present in the in the electronic music world, I think, and and his influences, it made such an impact on Björk's music and and you know how this record was received, and I'm pretty sure that it's a lot it's a lot of people's favorite Björk record as well, or the one that they know the best. Okay, well, sweet, and this is the again the album starter, so um, yeah. you know it means a lot to Björk when she's like, this is the one I want people to hear for here first. So here we yeah, go, absolutely. Hunter. wait for the snare drum there we go Yeah, it'd be fun to watch you in a practice session trying to play this and see what you come up with. Or anyone. I mean, everyone would interpret it a little bit differently. Yeah. I think what's funny is 
when you have music blaring in your ears and you're playing along to something, you're like, oh my God, I'm incredible. <laughs> I'm just nailing it all. But if someone actually walked into the room and heard everything out of context, it would just be horrific. It's all the same velocity. just. Like, <laughs> just but God, it sounds good in my, my cans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I hate That's to talk cool. over this because it's so perfect, but yeah. Just the way that if that Mark Bell is opening up the decay on the snares, the way that a drummer would play really, really tight yep. and then really loose on the snare, it's just like adds such a beautiful dynamic to this song. This is the big moment. And then he just closes it. Oh. It's playing the drum. I mean, he's playing the drum. Sure. You know. You can hear that live kind of responsive energy in the way that he's programming it. Working around her vocals and everything. It's just like so cool. go down an LFO rabbit hole as well too. So many yeah, that's, absolutely. Why I, that's why I love this this podcast because I kind of yeah. like liner notes for me. I'm like, oh now I have to do LFO, blah blah blah. LFO is great. There's a great um I mean it's very intense, kind of similar to the window liquor FX twin energy, but the the um the video clip for LFO's freak was kind freak. of definitely up there um you know when video clips were all the rage. <laughs> yeah. When we were kids. And that was kind of, that was like high art, that video and that mm-hmm. song. So Freak's a really good one. There's also a beautiful video. I'm not sure if it was after Mark Bell had passed, but um, of um, Björk working Freak by LFO into one of her sets. Mm. You, um, you can Google that or YouTube that. Yeah, that's a really, it's a really special moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Just... Uh... Moving on to number five, I don't want to, but to keep it moving, um, let's do, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the artist is Tony Allen, drummer Tony Allen, and his album mm-hmm. Black Voices came out in 99, and uh, Asiko, is that the, how you pronounce Asiko? it? Asiko, Asiko, yeah, Asiko? I guess he sings, he sings Asiko in the song, but right. um, I'm definitely not an authority, so... <laughs> But of course, the drummer is Tony Allen. It's his record. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, let me just let me just play that song, and then we can talk during it or after it. But here we go. Right. Yeah, 
It's really hard to pick a, to- a good Tony Allen song, but yeah. I thought it would be more relevant to pick one of his songs from his records. Oh, oh yeah. That drum sound is awesome. So sick. Not too far off the Jackie sound, the can yeah. drum sound. And this is later in his life, and he had it till the end. Yeah, it sounds so good. I couldn't believe that I had to actually look up the release date for this because I just listened to this record thinking it was like in the 80s. But yeah. Yeah, he was making music till the very end. on his left hand which I've never been able to do that mm. I don't know what he's doing I never got to see him play oh, well, me I've just I've seen a couple of there's there's some cool videos of him playing with Jeff Mills mm. um, where Jeff Mills is playing like a 909 and Tony Allen is playing along it's oh, really awesome. cool I want to say there's also, um, yeah, I'm like 99% sure it's Tony Allen and, and Bernard doing some like mm. drum off kind of thing, but it's in like Russia <laughs> and they're like what? doing, yeah, yeah. I'll send you the link. Um, but yeah, they're oh doing just God, like, please. it's, it's a groove off where they just have a bass player and they kind of just go back and forth to play along with the bass. It's not like a look at my chops. It's like, look at us, just hold it down. Yes. Um, and they're like oh, in this like that. almost college stadium, not stadium like football stadium, but like a, mm. like a class, like a, a class theater, Yeah. like 200 kids. And they're all just like watching them on two drum sets. What the um, hell? When yeah. was that? I would say, uh, mid two thousands, 2005, six, maybe. Wow. Oh yeah. Please send that to me. I'd love to see it. That sounds like my dream. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think Tony and Jackie are kind of in that same bag for me um that i like to take with me wherever i go isn't that sweet um (laughs) yeah i think i just just the way that he he's always doing something interesting he he like created a beat i mean how many drummers can you say created a beat that was named it was named something and other people reference it but it's yours you know that's such a i mean I'm, i'm sure it's so heavily influenced by by the music 
from his region and from from Africa and and um, probably from Latin America as well. Like there's and and funk music in America and all that stuff. But um, but very much attributed to Tony Allen and and he definitely put the flag down when it comes to that kind of genetic structure of that beat. Um, mm-hmm. It's always connected to him as an artist and. Yeah, I, th- I hear a lot of copycats and I always appreciate it and I always, you know, I think the wink, the kind of reference to, to, the, to Afrobeat and to, to Tony Allen is always really interesting and it's interesting how it finds its way into different genres of music and, and that approach because it's always exciting. Even just hearing, I mean, I've heard that song a million times and it still sounds perfect to me. Mm-hmm. And that beat still sounds really interesting, and I don't know how he does it, and only he could do it. And you just, I just don't know how many other drummers I could say that about. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe every single drummer in the world, but <laughs> I stand corrected. But everyone's got their own thing. But there's just something quite, quite magic about about um, that particular beat and his approach and his touch. I know what you mean. So yeah. unique, and it's so it's so characteristically him that. Even um, I think he played on um, a Charlotte Gensberg record maybe 10 or so years ago and I think him and James Gadsden were playing on that, on that mm. record and it's just like immediately you hear it and you're like, who's that trying to rip off Tony Allen on a Charlotte Gensberg record? And then you look at the liner <laughs> notes and it's, and it's him. Um, and I just, I, yeah, who's it's just dick? so, yeah, who is this asshole? <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I just think it's, you know, there's, I think Jackie and Tony and a lot of drummers that I really love and respect are are the ones that you can, you really can hear it immediately. You can hear their touch, their velocity, their approach, their mind, more importantly than anything, you can hear their ideas. um, And they're so characteristically them, you know, they're so, they're so strong in, in, in their ideas and their approach to drumming and, and it's, they're not really Jack of all trades, even though I'm sure they can do it all, mm-hmm. but they're not displaying this kind of, you know, this ability to just kind of do it all and, and, you know, be the, um, be the toolbox. They're very much like at, at the artistry of drumming and they're really, they are artists to me more than, um, more than a lot of other drummers that, um, that I'm, that I listen to and that I'm a fan of. I think those, those two strike me as, you know, I I hold them in very high regard as much as I do someone like Brian Eno or Fela mm. Kuti or um, David Byrne or whatever, like people that I consider to be true artists. Um, I think those drummers are, are definitely up there and someone like Mark Bell is very much up there as well. So. Mm. Yeah, my, my girlfriend just got back from New York and she went to American Utopia and use the mm. tickets that we were going to use in December, but we ended up canceling it because of everything that was going on. But so yep. I've never seen David and she got to see him and I was like, oh. damn it. I'm so, I mean, hopefully he's still doing it when I can get back over there. I think but, so. Well, there's that movie, yeah. right? Didn't they make a movie about it? I kind of want to see it in real life though. You know, I understand. But. I understand. I feel the same way. I just, everything feels for, for a good few years. It just felt like so unattainable that yeah. everything, everything moved to, video on demand and, and watching yeah. things on Instagram. And I guess you're right now it's, it's, everything's coming back slowly. But with Tony and stuff, yeah, I, I do agree with you. Uh, there is everyone's unique, but there is a hierarchy 
of uniqueness. <laughs> no, yes. and Tony's. Uh, yeah. It's like yes, no one plays the same way, but there are people that are a little mm. more. Yeah, an artist like that. It's like I. I think I envy so many people like that that have their lane because it's such a hard thing for as a individual to be like, mm. I'm going to allow other things to atrophy because I know this is my direction. Yes. Um, and yes. I, I don't think I'm there yet. Um, mm, I don't think I, I'm there yet either at all. I always think about that. Like, um, I think it's a lazy way to, to think, but it's, it's, I think it nonetheless is that it's just so hard just in art in general these days to do something that's truly unique because, mm. you know, and um, everything just feels so regurgitated. Um, yeah. Going back, making a full um, circle back to regurgitator there, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. back to the beginning of the podcast. Um, but, um, yeah, it's music, yeah, just just stylistic things and, 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 and um, genres and all that kind of stuff. It just it feels like it starts to kind of resemble the snake eating its own tail mm-hmm. and and there's so much still to draw from in you know the the last century of music that's still so exciting and I barely scratched the surface but I was even looking at all my choices and I was like god they're all from like the majority of them are from the 1970s and um and they're still making an impact on my life and I'm still discovering music from you know 40, 50 years ago that's changing my brain um, mm. daily. Um, but, yeah, um, I just I, I, I can't think of anyone that's, that has that kind of impact these days, um, but so many people have have taken Tony Allen's, the spirit of his drumming and the spirit of his artistry and, and forging their own path, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, I've taken up enough of your time, but I did yeah. want to, <laughs> well, I'm going to directly address that, uh, at least in a small way, you were, you were Martina's, you were a huge impact on her. So whether you mm. feel like you're still working it out, it out or not, you are that to a lot of people. Um, That's really beautiful. So you're on the right path. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, I do want to give you the opportunity to talk about anything that's coming up. I know, mm. or I, th- I believe Warpaint does have, you know, you're releasing more stuff pretty soon. So what's, yep. what's going on there? Yeah. Uh, we have our first record in about six years, I think. Yes. I think it's been six years coming out in May of this year. And we're going to be doing our first tour f- supporting that record in around May and June in Europe. And then we'll be in America uh, around July, August, beginning of September, okay. um, touring that record. So yeah, that's the next big one. And I have an electronic project with my friend Boom Bip, um, who's Brian Holland, uh, who's a producer, lives in LA. He's been a longtime friend of mine, and we've been making this album for a few years and and changing the songs and it's finally done and we've got like the final pressing and everything and that's going to be i think coming out in july okay. of this year so two two pretty significant releases for me this year that have been um in the in the shoot ready to deploy for a few years now so it's nice that um they're going to be coming out this year and there's and there's the possibility of um being able to tour all of them so that's really exciting well i hope all those tours happen and that everything continues to go in the direction it's going i appreciate it 
but um, all right well i will let you go but thank you so much for taking the time and i know i've wanted to get you on for a long time so i'm i'm, I'm happy it, it finally worked out thank you ben i appreciate it thanks for taking the time all right i'll talk to you soon okay that was really fun see ya bye bye And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.